Trash Cinema. Uh, trash Cinema aficionado, Kent Hill. <laughs> hey, hey, man. This beautiful black body's got a lot of living to do, yeah. <laughs> the year, if I should include the 70s era of exploitation films, because they're kind of been rediscovered as being quality films. Um, but his 70s work is something that has been sectioned off and almost completely forgotten about. And it basically sure. starts with uh, him going over to Italy, and that became like the big chunk of his career. Sure, sure, totally. And, and I mean, there's, like, just to briefly touch on, you know, like the films uh, he did with Larry Cohen, you know, that, that, was, that, was, so, that was such a huge shock to find out Larry was, uh, <clears throat> Larry had passed, you know, and, uh, yeah, I was really, I was really shocked because it wasn't that long ago I spoke, I had spoken to the man himself. And, and he'd, uh, yeah, I didn't know he was sick or anything wrong with him. He seemed pretty vital. Uh, the documentary made about him was great. Fred was in that. Um, I had talked to Fred while Larry was still with us and it was just, yeah, it was like, boom. Right. But, but they don't, they don't, like you said, they don't count those movies in with these, uh, these other ones with the Italian, with the Italian movies. (laughs) Yeah, it's he has three different eras. Uh, this is the second era, and the third era would basically be the rediscovery um, with uh, from dusk till dawn. That's right. Yeah. I mean, he still does a yeah. lot of his own stuff, you know, from po' boy productions and a lot of direct video kind of things. Never really dabbled yeah. much in the theatrical, but it's kind of interesting. Like he's had these ups and downs. He has been, well, you know, not critically much, you know, you know, no love from them. But he is very, very business savvy, and I think a lot of these companies see that he knows how to shoot something very fast, very entertaining, on a very tight budget. Oh, totally, totally. When I, um, I, I of course talked to Fred to put people in the picture. I talked to Fred in conjunction with a film called Atomic Eden um, or Nazi Doomsday Device, depending on which region you're in. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, it's it was a film. Uh, by a young, <clears throat> a young uh, German filmmaker called Nico Sentner, um, and uh, yeah, he Nico had already made a few uh, what they call crowd exploitation movies, and uh, he reached out to Fred at a uh, at a film market, and he asked Fred if he wanted to be in it. It was kind of like it's kind of like the movies we're going to discuss, right? It's it's uh, you know macaroni. Well, they used to call them macaroni war movies, right? Right, macaroni combat, something yeah. that variation, yeah. Yeah, macaroni, yeah, macaroni combat movies, because like you had your spaghetti western, macaroni combat. Um, I believe they had another word for fantasy or sword and sandal films, which was actually an Italian word. I can't think of it offhand, but they did have a different subgenre for that. But yeah, Fred is Fred is a war horse, and for a dude in his eighties now, um, he is very much alive and kicking. And like Tarantino said, Fred Williamson is the only guy you'll ever meet or talk to where the movie star answers you. Like, normally you meet a star, like you meet someone famous, a director, an actor, or whoever, and you meet them, and they are very nice, very cordial, like, oh, hi, how's it going? Good to meet you, all sort of stuff. When When you meet or talk to Fred, the movie star... The character of Fred Williamson, the character of the Hammer, answers you. You go, 
hey hammer and he goes yo right he doesn't go, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah he does he doesn't go hi how's it going oh, it's nice to meet you you know oh that's just my public persona and all that sort of stuff fred's like hey i go hey hammer he's like yo how you doing man you know he's he's he is the character fred williamson is fred williamson He's, yeah, he's he's know, cultivated yeah. something no one else in that era did, and I think that's why his career, like I said, not as as, as critically well loved, but longer lasting, is because he created that character, he owned it, and he used it over and over in most of his movies. And it, it's what is it? Do you know? Did he explain what it was that made him take control, and start producing and directing his own movies? Well, um. Yes, and it's and it's an oft-repeated response that he gives, um, and he did it. I don't know if you ever saw it. There was a making of um, a, a, an independent making of film done from uh, of from dusk till dawn, and it was called Full Full Tilt, Full Tilt Boogie, and uh, it was literally the making of From Dusk Till Dawn. And they interview Fred on the set. And what's funny is they interview him with the vampire makeup on, you know, when he turns into a vampire right at the last second. Yeah. And, and he sort of turns towards the camera and like, he's gone from like this, like Tarantino says in the commentary, one of the only Quinn Tarantino commentaries is there are, he turns towards the camera and he's gone from just like a vampire victim to Lord of the Vampires, because you know that shot where he puts his arm out and all the bats fly around him and he turns and he points to them like, get them, yeah, you know? And so that that makeup, that vampire makeup, they're talking to Fred with that on, right? And there's only a tiny little hole um, in the front of it. Like, he can't, he can't move his jaw, really. He can't really articulate his jaw. And so there's a tiny little hole. So he's doing the whole interview for this tiny little hole. And he tells the interviewer, like he's told me, like he's told all people in the past, that he got into, like he started Popo Productions because he wanted to do things Hollywood would let him do at the time, which was the hero always wins, always gets the girl, always, you know, pretty stuff pretty cliche. He knows, he knows his audience. He knew what people like to see him do. And so that's just what he wanted to do. And he went out and he made... Um, the quintessential 70s Fred Williams movie, which is No Way Back, um, you know, which is a great film. And he made it for, you know, several hundred thousand dollars, under a million dollars. And he took it to the Cannes Film Festival and he put little girls in tight T-shirts long before it was popular. And he sold the hell out of No Way Back, huh. right? And so, yeah. But, yeah, that, that little interview, I mean, I think you can see it on YouTube, but it's on a film called Full Tilt Boogie. Which is about the making of uh, from Hustle Dog. Yeah, and they, and they throw and, it in as a bonus feature um, with uh, there's a four film set now with Dust Till Dawn and the other sequels, and that as the fourth feature. Okay, cool. There you go. So yeah, check that if you want to see that interview and Fred talking through his vampire prosthetic, uh, facial prosthetic. Um, so yeah. So but, does he? Uh, yeah. Did, did he do the Italian films to pay for his own productions? Or did he just find a deal with them, like, yeah, come in for a week, we'll pay you a crap ton of cash, and he's like, uh, how would I argue with this, especially with black exploitation films going out of style? Well, of course, of course. Like, a lot of a lot of people think that, as, as Fred said to me, so a lot of people think movie stars are greedy, right? 
and they just want every they'll just do anything for money right and he said i'm different in the respect that um just like it's gonna sound like an odd comparison but peter o'toole right yeah peter o'toole did films right but when he went back to england and did theater because he loved to act he didn't charge a fee he went and did plays he'd do a play for, for three or four months a run of three or four months or six months but wouldn't charge a fee because he'd made enough he was making enough money making movies he wasn't going to charge uh this theater company some exorbitant amount just to have him in the play he loved to act so um any chance he got to act and he loved doing theater so he he didn't charge he he, he got paid really well doing films and theater he did for free fred did certain parts he'll admit that we're probably like oh damn but um, there was a means to an end because he knew that if he did a few of these films, then he would probably have enough money or enough collateral to get, you know, some more money, and and make the films that he wanted to that he wanted to make, you know. So yeah, so you, you know, do one a, for them, one for yourself. Means, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a means to an end, and and some people do it. Some people do it really well. Um, some people not so well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, so, so yeah, it was all I mean to it. And it's not like, you know, like, hey, I want to go over and and be in a ripoff of The Road Warrior because it sounds like a good idea. I mean, he's like, he's smart. He goes, well, I want to make, I know I want to make this next picture, Poboy Productions. We want to do this. If I do this film, then I've got, you know, either all the money or part of the money or something. So, because he had investors that worked with him a lot. So he was like, well, if I do this movie, I'll sink this money into this film and they'll sink X amount and that'll be enough to go off and do the film we want to do. Right. So, so you know, so it's, it's smart businessman, very smart businessman. I might be wrong about this, but I'm thinking, so it all begins with Inglorious Bastards. Is that his first Italian film? Um, yeah, kind of want to say, kind of want to say, yeah. And it's, um, to talk about to talk about this movie, um, and to talk about because he made two films, uh, relatively close proximity. Uh, let me think for a moment, because yeah, he, he made two films in very close proximity here. So I'm trying to just trying to remember which one was first. Um, yeah. While you're looking it up, I do want to mention that for years, Inglorious Bastards was not available in America. It was available on some cheap cut called GI Bro, where they cut about 20 minutes out of it and focus more on Fred Williamson. And it's a crazy pain and scan piece of crap. Yeah, I think I think it was. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. Were you surprised when you heard? Did you know about this movie at all when Tarantino announced that he was going to remake it? Oh, had I seen Inglorious Bastards? Sure. Yeah, the Inglorious Bastards. Sorry, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I had seen it on uh, video. It um, had a different title. I can't think of the title. And when Tarantino interviewed um, Enzo, um, yeah, when he interviewed Enzo, he mentioned a few of the other titles, but it has like three or four other titles. Okay. Uh, so I did. I did not see it as Inglorious Bastards. I saw it as something like GI Bro or something. Yeah, that's like that. that's what was widely available for a very long time. Yeah, GI Bro, I think it was. <laughs> Which is a crazy but, name. Yeah, so 
know, but I mean, I mean, it didn't diminish. Um, it didn't diminish it at all for me because you know I like Enzo's movies. Enzo has the most. Let, let's talk very briefly about Enzo. Enzo has one of the most like eclectic, um, like CVs you can imagine. He's yeah. got science fiction. He's got science fiction. He's got action. He's got western. He's got fantasy. He made probably what is one of the quintessentially uh, one of the quintessential. It's so bad. It's hilarious. Uh, fantasy films. In his Sinbad. Have you ever seen Enzo's Sinbad movie, Sinbad of the Seven Seas? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realize he directed that one. I thought it was Lewis Coates again. Oh, That's 89, yeah. right? Yeah. Horribly edited, very confusing. <laughs> we talked about it with the Hercules a yeah. couple years ago. That's right. Yeah, that was – that's insane. That's like an insane movie. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, so Warriors of the Wasteland um, – to talk about this one now, as most people, for those of you who don't know, for those of you just tuning in, <laughs> um, it is pretty much a ripoff of The Road Warrior or Mad Max 2 as we knew it. Yeah, with, um, with a little added element of almost Knight Rider in it. Yes, yeah, a little element. And, and just like all of these movies, um, in Fred's Italian movies, he's got some really just absolute tip-top corporate lines that he delivers with such conviction. It's it's so beautiful. Like, the, what's my favourite line in um, Warriors of the Wasteland is where he goes to the, the lead guy, Scorpion, and he says, that's your problem, Scorpion. You don't know the power of victory, right? <laughs> and it's just like, it's just like, what? And then, of course, it's, it's, it's probably most well-known for um, the deliverance scene. Oh, you know, hold on. I just got the movies confused. I'm sorry. When I said the Knight Rider thing, I was thinking Warrior of the Lost World. Oh, Warriors of the Wasteland, a.k.a. the New Barbarians. Okay, yes, yeah. that infamous... That is a... Okay, that is a bonkers-ass movie. It's it, it's basically about this group of, like... Uh, oh, what do you call them? Like, knights. of Like, in a futuristic, post-apocalyptic world that want to cleanse the world by cleaning it. That They want to kill all of society. And when they're done killing all of them, they'll kill each other. Knights Templar Knights or whatever is what they were called. That movie is they insane. Were, yeah. It's so much gore and it's so violent and it's insanely entertaining. Yeah. And what about that scene, right? The oh, deliverance scene. God. I was just like, is this really going to happen? Oh, this is this is happening. So what? It's what? They just dacked him and then all of a sudden this dude lifts the, the exercise thing that he's got and like it's off an old like gym equipment. And pulls the guy over, and next minute, boom, and the techno music hits, and everyone's standing around watching Supreme One or whatever his name is, um, you know, ass rape, um, <laughs> Scorpion. And this is like, what the hell are you doing, man? This is nuts. And then someone just rides up and interrupts it, and he does like, Supreme Leader, we need, you know, there's movement on the Western Front, and he's like, okay, I'll be back later, you know, huh, keep it, <laughs> keep it warm for me, Scorpion. And, you know, it's just like, what the hell? What What is this? Well, Enzo always had a very strange way of making movies. And I think that's why he's my favorite, because he'll do stuff that's completely out of nowhere. You know, it's got combinations of horror, sci-fi, action, and then it's just got, like, weird, trippy things in it. The the, the simple fact that he chooses those hairdos for his villains boggles my mind. (laughs) Yeah. But the thing is, like, to listen to him in interviews, like, he seems like, I mean... He seemed like a, like, he's, 
if you watch a young, like some of the younger clips where you see him younger, he seemed like a real sort of action man, but now he looks like someone's grandfather. And he's sort of sitting there and he's like, ah, I make a movies and it's good and all this sort of shit. And it's just like, you just go, you can't like look at this guy who could be your granddad and think about that scene in that movie and just go, granddad, what were you thinking? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I want to step back just for a second with Inglorious Bastards, but it's nothing sure, yeah. like the version that we see in Quentin Tarantino's. When he said he was going to remake it, he essentially only took the title because it seemed like it started off as a, a straight-up remake, which is yeah. Inglorious Bastards is a rip-off of Dirty Dozen in the first place. But he was going to do a remake, yeah. and then he was going to cast it with like Adam Sandler and stuff like that, like comedians playing serious roles, and be Eddie Murphy, Adam Sandler, and then all of a sudden turn into you know the story we know now about the the Jewish guys. Uh, hunting down Nazis, and then of course there's like four different other stories. It, it's such a wildly divergent. Like he just chose the title. He didn't. He didn't seem interested in the story at all. Yeah, totally, totally. And it's. I mean, there are some. There's there's a there's little there's a peppering of of the original film through it, and and it's and it's it's very very much little little more than a nod in some areas. Um, but I was I was. I was kind of excited. I thought, okay, yeah, like this is going to be Tarantino's take on, you know, macaroni combat movies. I thought this is going to be great, you know. But it was more of a uh, Tarantino's is more of a thriller, I think, yeah. than than a than a macaroni combat movie. Um, it's it's more of a thriller, and and you know, Tarantino showed us how well he does. Uh, Suspense, really. This was his coming out party for like, wow, look how how suspenseful I can I can you know that you can cut the tension with a knife in some of those scenes, uh, you know, particularly you know revolving. I mean, it culminates with the scene in the the underground, uh, you know, speakeasy, you know, when when they're playing, uh, you know, celebrity head with the with the with the playing cards, you know, right, right, yeah. So so it's a great. Um, it's a great scene. It's a great. It's a great film. Well, um, and, but the one thing about but, the ending does remind me a lot of the way Inglorious Bastards goes down. It's these guys who just sacrifice themselves, going on this insane, like incredible odds. And that is the similar. Oh, part. totally. But I, I would say the ending. This is going to sound sacrilegious, but I think the ending in the original Inglorious Bastards is more exciting. I mean, you got the train ride, and it's going to smash. It's going to blow up, whatever. And you got Bo Svensson, and these guys like taking him down, and, and Bo Svensson eats it. But after taking like four bullets, <laughs> and still standing, and then he triggers it. And I just thought that was a hell of a thing. Right. Does Fred Williamson survive? Because I swear he kicks him off the train, and he lives. Am I wrong? Um, the, the, there's actually there's an edit where. It looks like he doesn't, and there's an edit that looks like he does. Okay. Um, I have a video, the the GI Bro one that I have. Uh, it looks like he doesn't live in that particular version. But since it's come back out, since Tarantino told everyone it was a good movie and it was re-released uh, as the Inglorious Bastards, um, yeah, it, it, that film it looks like he he lives. But in the old video I have, it looks like he doesn't live. Okay. It looks like he dies. I should yeah. drop that. There is technically an Inglorious Bastards 2, Hell's Heroes, <laughs> with um, yes. Miles O'Keefe. Just like just just like the other film we'll talk about, uh, what's it name? Delta Force Commando has a Delta Force Commando 2. Yeah. Uh, su- subtitled 
priority red one, <laughs> um, <laughs> which uh, I think the only recurring star is Fred in it. Richard Hatch, the late great Richard Hatch, is in it, and also uh, uh, Giannina, the uh, what's her name, Ridley Scott's wife before she was Ridley Scott's wife. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, uh, her name's her name's uh, Giannina Fasciol. I think so. But yeah, she was she's in it. She's the lead chick, and she went on to marry Ridley Scott. Um, yeah, it's, which is pretty cool for her. There was that. A big, there was a small gap a where they step. weren't. Sorry, go ahead. You're right. It's a big big step up. For her. <laughs> she's gone from like, you know, she's gone from Delta Force Commando Two to the one. <laughs> The, uh, there was a small gap where they basically stopped doing the macaroni combat movies. It, it kind of ended with the deer hunter ripoffs that they did with um, – shit. I can't think of – it was the last hunter. Uh, he played Robin Hood in the 70s. Damn it. I'll look it up. Uh, but uh, I, know, I, know, I know you're talking about it. Yeah. yeah, it's bugging. I'm going to look this up right now. But that kind of stopped for a while. The um, So it's when the post-apocalyptic movies started to take over. And that's when Fred Williamson just really started raking in the cash. Totally, totally. Because I mean, he's they. I mean, the in Europe they saw him as like, like the probably the same way they saw Clint Eastwood when they were doing Spaghetti Westerns. Like, here's your quintessential American actor um, or American action star. And because they know, just like in most countries, that most people watch American movies, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, you know, they make a lot of Australian movies. No one goes to Australian movies. I don't know anyone <laughs> that goes to see the – like, they might watch them on DVD or if it ends up on streaming or something. But no one really goes to Australian movies. American movies have always led the way. So the idea was always like let's, let's make a movie like this big hit American movie and we'll put one or two – American stars in it, and we'll sell it to our people like it's an American movie, and uh, and hopefully they'll be convinced, um, you know. So it's 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 just a model that's always been, and like <clears throat> like Tarantino, as we've we've mentioned a few times now, like Tarantino says in um, the very great documentary, not quite Hollywood, about exploitation, he says, isn't it cool that at one time in the in in the history of cinema that Australian cinema was so bang on that the Italians were ripping us off, right? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. amazing. So, so, so not only did they rip us off with, like, all of those, like, you know, Road Warrior-type knockoffs, but also, um, I don't know if you know about this, a psychological thriller called Patrick about this guy who's, like, comatose but his oh, yeah, eyes yeah, are yeah, open. Yeah. yeah, and he has psychokinetic powers. Well, the Italians ripped that off too. They did a dodgy like unauthorized sequel, which really has nothing to do with Patrick. Like it's just got a guy who lies in bed and yeah, it's huh. stupid. Um, yeah. That, that's about it though. Cause it seems uh, like there, <laughs> there were hits like the man from snowy river. Yeah. There's a lot of spinoffs from that. And there's a lot of spinoffs from uh, crocodile Dundee, but it didn't seem like it was one of those things. I, I would say crocodile Dundee was easier to even do uh ripoffs of cause it was so profitable. There was like, well, you know, that's, that's something that's cost effective. But it never did happen, did it? No, 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 really. Something about that. It's Mad just it's because the action yeah, market it's, for it's, Italy is easier, I think, to sell. Well, yeah, I mean, look, Italians, Italians are a big thing about movies. Is movies are supposed to move? Like, they're not big on people standing around having a powwow about 
their problems or character development. Like, if you listen to Enzo, if you've seen that that um, the version of the Inglorious Bastards where it has Tarantino and Enzo talking, well, there's a quite lengthy interview between them. And Enzo talks about the script for the Inglorious Bastards. And he goes, you know, I read the script and it was like, uh, so long, lots of character stuff. And I thought, this is supposed to be an action movie, so we really do it. More action here, action scene, action scene. And so you can you can sort of see, listening to him say that and then watching it, you can see how his influence changed that movie. Because it has a crap ton of writers. If you look at the credits to that, look at the screenwriters, uh-huh. there's, at least, there's at least six uh, wow. screenwriters. Um, on the Inglorious Bastards, you know, which wasn't uncommon when you think about it. Like, if you look at, um, uh, what is it? Once Upon a Time in the West, there's like seven screenwriters on that movie. Um, because, like, you get the idea that the Italian directors were like, if the writer wasn't good enough, oh, you're fired, and get another one, until the writer would do exactly what the director wanted, sort of thing, you know? Um, so it's great. It's almost like they had... They will, the director was uh, was was such a, uh, a a dictator on the set, and even in the development of the script, like if the screenwriter can't cut it, get someone else, and that's why you have all these like seven screenwriters or something, um, you know, uh, which would be interesting if all the screenwriters that worked on some big films, like the most famous quote that I love, I actually posted it on my Facebook page below it, is from Joe Esterhass's book about Hollywood. And he talks about how there was, like, it took one man to write War and Peace and something like 13 screenwriters to write the Flintstone. Maybe I'm being conservative. I think it's up in the 30s. Yeah. yeah. So you can only imagine if if they really put in the credits, like, how many writers worked on some of these films. Yeah. It'd be massive. A huge list because the – I mean, it's but it's different, though. It's different the director saying, look – this writer is not taking this in the direction of the wants, as opposed to a writer comes in, does a pass, and and tries to follow the notes. Like, and he's not being fired, or he's not credited for no reason. He's not credited because, you know, in the end, they're going to get someone else to come in, and it's going to be ripped up and ripped until it's exactly the film that they want to put their money into. So it's it's the same thing, but it's, it's different in the case with like Enzo and Leone because those guys were like, no, no, this isn't the movie I want to make because they've got it in their head and they want a writer to come in and almost read their mind and sort of go, okay, I understand, and they talk to them, you know, like the famous interview with Leone um, talking about making Once Upon a Time in America and there was actually one screenwriter who was American and he did a pass of the script and Leone sort of had it read to him by a translator and he sort of sat there and he giggled a few times or whatever and then in broken English he turns to me and goes, ah, it's good, it's funny, I don't want funny. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so, you know, you get the idea, you can really, I think if you listen to Enzo talk about the film or listen to his commentary, you can really see Enzo's influence over probably would have been a pretty mundane, you know, war picture. Yeah. And he really turned it into, into a balls out there, some good action, um, you know, even though Bo Spence and, and Fred Williamson can't stand each other, by the way. <laughs> um, 
And I found that out the hard way when I came to Bo Svensson because um, <laughs> I, I just, I, you know, he, he, he's in a couple of movies I really like, and they're movies that people think are stupid. But I, so Fred is the only guy I know that knows him. And so I thought, I'd, in the unlikely event, I'm going to get to talk to Bo Svensson because ironically that day I'd seen what turned out to be a fake, one of those fake things that said someone was dead. Oh, no. And I think that said Bo Svensson was dead. I was like, oh, that's sad. Um, so I'm, I'm going to talk to Fred in like half an hour. So I get on and I said, oh, Fred, shame about Bo Svensson. And he's like, no, nah, Bo's still alive. And I'm just like, really? I just saw a thing that said he was dead. No, nah, he's still alive. He goes, some shit just don't flush. I went, okay. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so I go, oh, crap. So I scrumple up. Quietly scrub up my page of both Svensson questions. And drop <laughs> oh no! I go okay. Um, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no Bo Svensson question. He goes, yeah, yeah, Bo's the live piece of shit. I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> oh. They they do seem like very, very strong personalities. They both have a very strong focus on what they want. Because um, also Bo Svensson and another one of those guys. We could do a whole episode about him because he had a whole career after Hollywood where it was a lot of Italian stuff. He did, he did, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of guys like that. Lee Van Cleef's another good example. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, but, yeah, so, yeah. It does uh, seem like, though, was... that Fred Williamson was the most prolific in this, and a lot of it, like, we were, this is why I get so confused, is he did so many post-apocalyptic movies right in a row, and a lot of them were with Enzo. Yeah, because Enzo sort of went on that kick. I mean, there's Bronx Warriors, there's, you know, there's just a, a metric ton of, of stuff that just, because it was just, for whatever reason, they just, you know, it just became popular, you know, like, whenever I've interviewed people, like, and I'm talking about from all walks of, of you know, the Hollywood food chain, uh, from, from, from screenwriters to actors to directors to whoever, uh, particularly American, solely American ones, they've all got their Road Warrior stories. The Road Warrior was such an influence to a lot of people. Like, um, I know this is completely off topic, but, um, and it's terrible. I can't think of his name. Uh, yeah. Philip Eisner, who wrote, uh, Event Horizon. Okay. Um, he, he, the first thing he told me, I get on the phone, he says, do you know that back in the winter of 19, whatever, when I was a teenager or something, um, we were snowed in for a week and we watched Road Warrior endlessly that week. Oh. <clears throat> Because we couldn't take it back to the video store or something, and because we were snowed in, and so he said, "Man, I watch Road Warrior for a week. Like, just every time I put the TV, I watch Road Warrior, and I'm like, that's fantastic, you know. And it was, it's just nothing to do with what we're talking about, but they always, I don't know, because I'm Australian, they feel the need to. It's <laughs> okay. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, has I that like stopped? And now everybody just asks you about like. Uh, Lord of the Rings, you're like, well, that was New Zealand. That doesn't count. Well, it sort of counts. Never mind. Just move on. <laughs> That's true. I met. I, I was on one podcast once, and they said, so how come they didn't film Lord of the Rings on the mainland? And I go, what? Because <laughs> they look the main, wildly different. The mainland. He said, well, I said, New Zealand's its own country. You didn't know that, right? And he's like, oh, shit. I thought it was part of Australia. Are you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> But I should say this, that for the first year that we did the show, that I thought you were from New Zealand. Like, I, somehow I got confused along the way, and it never came up. And then awkwardly, I was like, I am sorry. <laughs> That's all right. That's cool. I've got nothing against New Zealanders, oh. but I think. 
No, um, but I mean, it's, it's yeah. kind of like, I mean, I wouldn't be offended if someone thought I was Canadian. I would just go, well, no, I'm not Canadian. It's, yeah. it's near us. Yeah. I'm, I'm from America. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Warrior of the Lost yeah. World <laughs> is a weird one because it's an Italian company that put it together. But it's also got a lot of American people involved. Like the director is David Worth, the guy who did Kickboxer. David Worth has a strange career. I still can't figure out what he's really the director on. I feel like he's been fired and replaced on stuff. Yeah, yeah. He seems like one of those guys, doesn't he, that like maybe did like a stint, you know? Yeah. That I... did like a stint here and there and like and didn't quite, you know, he's sort of like a uh, the Kmart version of um, – uh, who's that dude? George Cukor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this one has uh, Robert Ginty as is the main character. I would think I think in all, all the post-apocalyptic movies that Fred Williamson's only a small supporting role where he shows up like in a badass suit with arrows and shit like that. They explode, uh, or you know he shows up in uh, Bronx Warriors for a brief bit and he's like running the whole like Bronx area. It, it's kind of funny. So he's not yeah. the main focus in a lot of these movies, but yet I so. Uh, connect him to them. Yeah, totally. Uh, where we at? Uh, Warriors of the Year 2072, but for the most of us, we know it as New Gladiators. This is my favorite of the bunch, and it's literally, I know this sounds like sacrilege, considering this is a trash cinema podcast, it's the only Fulci movie I can stand, because the rest don't gross me out. I'm not a huge horror guy, especially with Italian horror. Right, right, yeah. Because it's, uh, you gotta, you gotta be a certain... Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, no, my laptop's about to die. I'm oh, no. School, but... Should we wrap this up? Is it... No, no, it's cool. I just got to get the plug in. Oh, okay. And working, hopefully. Yeah, for me, Fulci is just, he goes step, one step beyond in gore, and it just kind of disgusts me. New Barbarians founds, finds a balance of putting blood into it, but actually having a really fascinating story and lots of action. Lots of action. That score is killer, too. Yeah, no, totally. It's, it's, Felucci is like, you know, an extremist in many ways. And it's just like, you can, it's almost like a guy, like, who is, is, he's not, I don't think he's so far out there, but, there's part of him you wonder, like, you know, what can what can I do? Why is this not working? <laughs> Hold on. Um, this isn't awkward at all. <laughs> okay, technical difficulties over. Yay! We have power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have electricity. This one is interesting because it's um I know I know that what's the one with uh the Escape 2000. It's not called Escape 2000. It's called Turkey Shoot down there, I think. Turkey Shoot, yeah. It kind of had the plot first of televising, like, the combat stuff. So this isn't yeah. nothing new, but I do feel like The Running Man really steals from this movie. Yes. Yes. Yeah, totally. And it's um, it's kind of like, you know, because what what's, what's really interesting is The Running Man film and The Running Man book – um, are completely different animals, oh, yeah. you know. Um, the Running Man book would probably actually make a better, like, Netflix series or something than than uh, a standalone film because the Arnold Schwarzenegger film is very much like, oh, yeah, let's, 
it's a game show. Let's you know, let's get the action, and they fight. It's like gladiatorial combat, but on TV, and they're teaching people a lesson. You know, punishment. You know, for crimes against humanity and whatever else. So you know, it's um, yeah, it's the, the funny thing about all of these Italian sort of knockoffs is that they they borrow like like. Um, What's the other one we're talking about? Commando, um, Alpha Flight Commando. Oh, Delta Force, um, yeah, Delta Force Commando. Delta Force Commando, which I, I, I really look, I really love this movie. I think it is up there with King of the Kickboxers for me as one of the most unintentionally funny movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> ever, like I know when we were discussing like what movie should we talk about, and you were like, no, oh, this one's such a drag. Let's do. Let's do um, Delta Force Commando. And you can literally see in some of these movies like where they've just ripped off the plot from like either Delta Force or Commando or Top Gun or, you know, or whatever the case is. Like, okay, well, let's, let, if we take the plot of... If we take the plot of, like, this movie and that movie and this other movie and, you know... And let's face it, that movie ends with the guys finding out that... The bo- the whole bomb, the big the big crescendo of the movie was a dark bomb, like it wasn't even a proper atomic nuclear bomb. It was, yeah, it was like fake, and you're like what the what the heck, man? <laughs> yeah, they and, hate each other. You know, the entire movie they 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 find more insults. I it's a competition between this and Murphy's Law, Charles Bronson's Murphy Law, to come up. With yeah. as many insults as possible to pack into 90 minutes, and I almost think Delta Force Commando has more insults to each other. Oh, look! It has. You can you can play an incredible drinking game watching this movie. Every time Fred Williamson says shit, you take a drink, or a character <laughs> says shit, take a drink, right? <laughs> because Fred Williamson's always like shit, shit, shit the bomb, shit something else, shit. I just shit myself, shit, you know. Um, and he's like shit. And, yeah, like, it's just like, what the hell? He says shit again, and he's like, ah, oh, shit. And then finally, the the big joke at the end, which no, well, no one gets, no one laughs, is the other guy, Brett Baxter, goes, shit, right at the end. And, like, oh, he got his chance to say shit, isn't that nice? I never um, caught that. I never caught that. that you know, yeah, I wanna, he, Delta Force Commando is the reason I started Trash Cinema. I watched yeah. it, and I was like, this is great, but it's also really, really bad at the same time, and I'm really enjoying this, but I shouldn't enjoy this. And I felt like this weird, like, I don't I don't know what to do with this energy. And that's when I just started writing about terrible movies. And yeah. Delta Force Commando is just that perfect balance. It's one of those Italian movies. This is when the budget started to drop a little bit. They started shooting more of them over in the Philippines and stuff like that. You could see the budgets were, like, nothing. They had no names attached anymore. You can see that Delta Force Commando is, like, that last chunk of, hey, we're going to spend some decent money and have some, you know, name actors. Well, relative name actors. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's crazy. An interesting story is um, the Dano Sacchetti, oh, the screenwriter, is one of the most prolific screenwriters you'll ever read about. He's got something like nearly 100 credits in television and film and whatever else. And he has written, like, he wrote the Karate Warrior films. Oh, my God, I've been itching to do those. I didn't know there were six of them. Yeah. Six! yeah. <laughs> He did the Karate Warrior films. He did, um, you know, like uh, the Thunder series. You know, Thunder. Oh, love him, love him. Yeah, Thunder one through three. 
he did like it's crazy he did that but he did this movie this shitty sci-fi movie I really like called Hands of Steel even though he was unaccredited um yeah he did the yeah I said the Thunder series uh Blade in the Dark Demons he did Bronx Warriors that's a lot of work he did that's a Manhattan baby yeah. yeah he was so pro- the last hunter yeah he was just like just so crazy and so like, he just must have locked him in the room like a monkey and just go write a script about this <laughs> and they did I forgot. Oh yeah. <laughs> By the way, Last Hunter starred David Warbeck, and I apologize for not remembering that. That's all right. But um, yeah, so you know, this this movie is like this this wonderful, like it, it's it, this is like the second film. This and King of the Kickboxes is a movie that I introduced people to that never heard of it, never watched it. Um, and it, it, what's funny is is Brett Brett Baxter and. Fred are the only two actors I think aren't dubbed, right? But Bo Svensson is dubbed. That's weird. Or have you seen? <laughs> have you seen a different? I don't know if you've seen the version I have. The version I have on DVD. God, I feel like when um, I just, I just, what's well, it's it's one of those. It's like I think it's public domain or borderline public domain, so you can find it all over the place. Yeah. I feel yeah. like the version I saw did have Bo Svensson's voice, but I also watched okay. it immediately after yeah. watching all of the Thunder movies. So I could be confused right. in the matter. Yeah, but he um, the the two versions that I own, Bose Benson is very clearly dubbed by someone else. And it's, what's funny is he sounds like when he has those you know the scenes where he's in the room and there's the guy who's like the that character from First Blood Part Two. Yeah. He's like the company man, and then you've got the general, and he's always sitting looking away from him. like no one looks at each other. It's like a soap opera. Well, you know, <laughs> they're all standing there going, what's going on? And he's looking over at the wall. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. And the other guys, like, standing behind him, looking at his back, going, you need to do as I tell you. And both friends are like, what's going on? No, what's going on? Right? <laughs> and it's like, it sounds like the same guy doing all three voices. It's it, great. It's inexplicable but, when they do stuff like that, because I watched... Uh, okay, so Delta Force Commando has Mark Gregory, the first time as a villain with his hair cut off. And he's got this huge yes. scar in his face. He's he's the big villain. He's it was really threw me off with his hair being cut off because we're so used to the long hair. And yeah. immediately after that, I got curious to go watch Warbus Commando, which he shot at the same time. And yeah. uh, again, with short hair, but it has John Vernon in it. And John Vernon, uh, Dean Wormer from Animal House, has a very very particular voice. Everybody knows the guy did tons of yes. cartoons in the '90s, so everybody knows his voice. For some reason, instead of this big bellowing voice. He, they give him, hey, how's it going? I'm John Vernon. I'm going to help you get the war boss. You're like, what is going on? Who would make this decision? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man. And, of course, we should throw we should throw a mention out to um, to Brett Baxter, who is, um, <laughs> who is really like, I don't know what you call Brett Baxter. He's like, he's, I know that, I know that some, you know, there's lots of like, they do those little internet videos where they, you uh, know, Rediscover the career of yeah. Whoever. He's the Kellen Lutz. Like, He's the Kellen Lutz of the '80s, basically. Yeah, yeah, because he was in a he was in like a bunch of 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 movies. He was yeah. in let's not let's not forget he he was an un, he was unaccredited in the Wrath of Khan. Okay, I I feel like the yeah, last thing I was, saw him in was Shoot Fighter Two. I could be wrong. Shoot Fighter Two. Okay, yeah, yeah. he was um, again unaccredited in, in Meatballs. He was um, 
Andy, I love Andy Sedaris movies. We need to do a whole episode on Andy Sedaris. He was in Malibu Express. You know, it's funny. Fit to, fit, I've fit never, to kill. I've um, never seen a single Andy Sedaris movie, and I was listening oh, to these guys talk about him, yeah. and they're like, "Look, right. he seems like his movies seem like they're just cheap garbage that you should be embarrassed to watch." But it was forward-thinking oh, and empowered women that it was cheeky and fun that they knew. And it was like a mom and pop business, his husband and wife putting together. So I'm curious to see some of Andy Sedaris' films. Then. Oh, mate. Yeah, mate. Get, there's a set. There's a DVD set. Um, yeah, it's got all of them. That's cool. Yeah, sit, sit down when you have a day off or a weekend off and and, and bathe in the luxurious madness, splendor, <laughs> music, like like posing. like Oh, man. You've never, you've, you haven't seen a movie until you've seen one with like, uh, who was that dude who used to be in Chips? Oh, um, Eric Estrada. Are we, talking, uh, are we going to talk about Eric Light Estra- Blast? Is it Light Blast? Is that what we're going to talk about? Enzo? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, but anyway, getting back. So, but he plays this guy who's a, like a straight X guy. He doesn't drink. He doesn't go with whores. He, um, he's a straight X warrior. He's come to the competition to compete and be the best warrior he can be. And they have to, like, the beautiful thing about that movie is Deathstalk has to play, like, a Henry Higgins-type character and indoctrinate him into drinking and, and, and slumming with, with dirty uh, castle women. And um, and Old Mate is, like, into Deathstalk. When Deathstalk has shown him how to kiss a woman, he's, like, looking at Deathstalk. He goes, oh, that looks really good. He wants Deathstalk to kiss him. And, yeah, it's a really – it's a different role for him. Yeah. <laughs> so if you – if you watch that in a combo, like if you watch Deathstalk before and then um, uh, Delta Force Commander, it's a real, it's a trip. It's a fun night in. Yeah, this second um, one is such a bummer though. <laughs> Delta Force 2, Red Priority 1, I was like, this is going to be awesome. And I watched it and it's really a dud. You can see that there's no budget by the time they got to part two. It, almost nothing it happens. Is. I was so, does it go, oh God, wrap this up. Yeah, it is, and it's not. It's nowhere near as like it. It, it is really. Um, they had the potential, I think, to do something equally as fun. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that we that we know, and we're trying to get people who listen to the show to know, is these movies don't happen on purpose. They don't happen on purpose, right? All of this stuff, like no one sets out to make a movie like Delta Force Commando and hoping it's going to be un- unintentionally funny. Or the charmingly crappy, or, or whatever you want to say. Um, no one, you know, it's just like the room. No one thought the room, you know. Yeah, he <laughs> right? thought it was gonna be a masterpiece. The more serious you take it, the funnier it is. Yeah, like the 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 more dramatic the guys are, or the more Fred is like Fred. It just it 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 lends it lends a quality to the crappiness because uh, let's face it, Delta Force Commando is the film of the awkward cutaway because. They, you know, like there's a lot of shots of feet, you know, <laughs> near, right near the right near the end, like before the the the, the cavalry turns up. <laughs> you go, yeah, the cavalry's come, you know, um, you know, and he's got that great line, you know, this beautiful black body's got a lot more liver to do, pal. Um, <laughs> and right before they turn up, there's a there's a guy chasing Brett that he eventually fights and, and kills, um, but. There's a lot of shots with Fred just sort of walking behind the fight, like he's following the fight, like he's not getting involved in the fight. He's he's like slowly like he's like a natural voyeur, if you will. And there's a shot where he stops, and for whatever reason they thought, okay, we have to justify him stopping. So they do the shot where there's an Uzi lying on the ground, 
and he walks the two feet. It's a close-up of the Uzi. The two feet come into frame, and he flips the Uzi over with his left foot before he picks it up. <laughs> it's just like, what the hell was that? Like, and he doesn't use he doesn't use the gun. Like, you think, oh, he's going to pick up the gun and shoot the guy and save his friend and and whatever, but he doesn't. He just picks up the gun and continues to walk slowly behind the fight before Brett finally stabs the guy in the pull over Red Rover. But yeah, and and there's a lot of shots of just feet running at the end, like, oh, some feet, you know, and then the whole, the uh, resistance shows up, and then all of a sudden Fred goes, hey, the bomb, or sorry, shit, the bomb, <laughs> and they get, and they find out the bombs are done, and then, of course, it ends with, you know, the ending is great, like, they're on the helicopter in both fences, like, you know, and Fred's like, we risked our asses for a dodgy bomb, and he's like, you know, that guy's going to be dead meat, and then it ends with Omar getting the knife out of his boot, and, like, you know, it's just like, you know, I wouldn't say he's off the hook, you know, whatever, but uh, it's, it's, it's a great, it's yeah. just such a great, it's, it's one of those movies, man, that you, if, if you're, if you're in the frame of mind, especially the frame of mind we're in, um, <laughs> it's, you can have so much fun with this, it's just like, it's got so much unintentionally funny stuff. Uh, the performances are great. Uh, yeah. The action's kind of, you know, like the the dude who carries the bomb, like you know, you got you got to love the fact that that the the doomsday device in this film, <laughs> or the or the the um the the weapon, the WMD, is in a box, a big green box that you can, can not only carry it on a backpack, but it has a big sign that almost should be a target. Like this is dangerous. It's got the big radioactive symbol. And then it looks like someone's taken a magic marker and written danger across the top of the, you know, like, please do not bend. Please do not bend. Um, oh, ridiculous. <laughs> you know? Or, or you're waiting to, t- to turn around and you'll see a little sign that they painted over this side up and there's an arrow this way up, you know? <laughs> you know, it's crazy. It's great. It's wonderful. Um, you know, like all of these films that we're talking about, like, Warriors of the Wastelands or the New Barbarians, whichever you want to call it, or the Inglorious Bastards. Like all the films we talk about on this show in general, there is a beautiful, natural charm. And if you're willing to give yourself over, you know, you, you can give yourself over to these films just like you can give yourself over to something like uh, something is ridiculously expensive and really heavily Hollywood produced movies like Avengers Endgame. And give yourself over emotionally to, like, Delta Force Commando. And just, like, have such a great time with it. Because there's so much to enjoy um, in, its, in, its, in its meekness, in its emptiness, in its silliness, in its absurdness, in the massive plot holes. Um, <laughs> that, you know, it's just like, who cares? It's yeah. just, it's like, you know, these, these movies, what these movies really do, is take you back to a time before you were cynical and before you knew what good and bad movies were, right? Because everyone started off, everyone started off watching movies and you either, most of the movies we watched as kids, we enjoyed. Like, I don't remember remember saying, oh, that movie was crap, you know? Yeah, it was really, the only time I ever said anything like that was if it was something more sophisticated that my parents would be like, this is boring. Like, that was about it, but I would never say it's crap. But you're right. You don't have that experience. You don't have that balance. I mean, most of the movies I discovered as a kid were either my dad rented them, 
or yeah. we caught them on that Saturday afternoon local TV station that had no budget, so they always bought stuff like War is the Lost World, which is one of the very first movies I remember ever seeing on our independent station. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it, it's, it's, it really does transport you back to that time when you watch movies like this, or all King of the Kickboxes, or Fred Williamson's catalog, you know. Yeah. It's, it's just, um, there's, there's, you reach a point when you watch movies, if you watch a lot of movies, and I watch a lot of movies, uh, that you, you reach a point where you, once you, once you, once the, how should we say, once the magic has been revealed, once the trick has been revealed, right, that either makes you love and appreciate cinema more, or it makes you more cynical, like, oh, they spent $180 million and that's what we get. Yeah, right? I've had that. I've had those moments, like, how yeah. much does this cost again? Yeah. But you're used you to surprise. Like, there was hardly any Italian movies that were over, like, a million dollars. There's so many of them that were, like, Roger Corman level. Um, yet they yeah. pack in so much. Yeah. And, like, even, like, I, 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 I hope he gets it finished, Um Daniel Griffith's making a great documentary. I've talked about it before. It's called you probably you know about it. It's it's the uh, Wizards and Warriors of the Cinematic Wasteland. It's oh about, yeah, is it Empire? It's about Empire. Okay. Yeah, it's about Empire. Now Charlie Band was in the same category because he made films over there too, but um, they pack so much inventiveness and stuff that a studio wouldn't even bother trying. It doesn't matter if they had the money or not. Um, into such low-budget movies uh, and such great characters and scenery and stuff like that. And it's just like, you know, it, it gets to the point with cinema today, like thinking, do you really, how much money do you really need to, to tell a good story? Not so much to make a good movie, because that's a different thing. It's a different thing between making a good movie and telling a good story. And there are so, there are, as we both know, and as people who listen to our show know, that there are a ton of big budget movies they've seen, and it's not really you're disappointed with the film. It's a disappointing that it wasn't really a good story for what they for what they for all the assets that they had at their command and all the money and all the big stars and whatever. That's the story, really. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah, that's, it's happening more often yeah. too because they need to get you in the theater. They have to convince you to get out from behind Netflix, come to the theater, spend that money, you know, and then drive back home. They have to give you a spectacle. There's that, that's why we don't see many action movies anymore, or or mid-level comedies and dramas. It's either the smallest thing possible so it can boost profits, like the Bloomhouse stuff, or it's yeah, yeah. everything's over a hundred million dollars. Yeah, and there's yeah, and and all of these all these movies that we're talking about used to fall into this great gray area in the middle, right? And they're movies that were made for sometimes under a million dollars, but never more than. You know what? What should we say? Never more than maybe ten, ten or twelve. Yeah, there'd be a rare, you know? there'd be a rare one where it was like Superman yeah. cost a, mu- a bunch because they were experimenting on a new technology. Crawl, so like that was really, really expensive because yeah. they were they were trying to break through on new technology. But yeah, it, it was yeah. more like these scrappy little independents were the guys that were giving us new ideas and concepts and breakthroughs on special effects. Um, yeah. Not to go too long because we're almost to an hour, but uh, real quick, I want to say yeah. that the movie I skipped on <laughs> um, was Black Cobra, which there was four of, and I couldn't believe it even made it to four because I was so bored out of my mind with part one, which is literally, hey, let's take the plot from Cobra, 
and make a make Fred Williamson the star, and let's call it Black Cobra. I was snooze. Yeah. yeah, it was boring. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you there. I'm glad you I'm glad you said let's let's concentrate more on Delta Force Commando than uh, than that one. The first one was okay. The first one was okay. Wasn't great, but just like you said, it kind of drifted off. And just like okay, Fred Williamson's in it, but really okay, you know. But um, yeah, Fred Williamson, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know, and like like you said, you you've already did you say you did another episode where you talked about Fred? Yeah, well, earlier on? okay. Here's a weird thing. I'm gonna shoot myself in the foot if she bails. So okay. she got sick, so it's being delayed. So technically, we're doing the '70s one. We're gonna post the '70s one first, okay. but we haven't recorded it yet. Okay. So <laughs> watch. I'll, be, right, right. If there's an apology at the beginning of this episode saying that there is no '70s episode, uh, you'll know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but uh, look, if you haven't, for anyone listening, if you have, if you don't know the work of Fred Williamson from any era, not just the films that you heard us talk about here. Go and check him out, man. The guy is the the guy is really he he is a movie star both on the screen and in real life. I can personally tell you from experience. Um, I told a little story at the end of last episode. In case you didn't hear it, I'll tell it real quick. I was going to interview Fred. I called him on the phone. The phone rang out. He didn't answer it. Right. Just as I'm about to, just as I hang up and I hung up, I get a, a message. Right, because obviously, you know, he called me back while I was trying to call another phone call came through. He left a phone message, right? So I bit the phone message. He goes like, "Hey, hey, it's Hammer. Call me back. I'm here." You know, and I thought, <laughs> and I, I still have it. I kept. You it. do? So oh, you me. gotta send that. We gotta yeah. throw that at the end of this episode. We gotta hear that. <laughs> Actually, hold on. I'll try. Do we have the whole conversation somewhere that you can listen to? I don't know. I'll have to. I'll have to find it. I'll oh find no! It. I thought you. I'll, uh, don't you? Didn't you post an interview with him online? Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. If you go to podcast them softly, and um, it's called uh, the Hammer and the Doomsday Device, uh, because it was we were we were mainly talking about we were mainly promoting his new film at the time, which was Nazi Doomsday Device or Atomic Eden, depending what region you're in. Yeah. And it is. It is again. Fred is leading a team, man on a mission. It's got a cameo from Lorenzo Lamas. God love him, the snake eater. Um, That's yeah, another one right film. there. We should do those. There's so many Lorenzo Lamas movies we could discuss. <laughs> Bounty, oh, Tracker. Yeah, yeah. We, can, we can all go all the way up to you know Living Lamas or whatever his show was called. <laughs> um, his reality show. But yeah, but Fred, Fred is a titan. And God love him, he's 80 years old and he is still going strong. He was sitting talking to me with a cigar because it was raining in California. He loves the rain. He misses being in New York and watching the rain. It never rains apparently where he lives. So he was sitting out on the deck listening to the rain, smoking a cigar, and he is every bit the guy that you see in the movies as he is in real life. God love him, Fred Williamson. Go check him out. All right, and check um, his stuff out on podcasting him softly, and your books are yeah. up. You, you have a new book up, right? Ah, uh, yeah, Bark and Sugar Plum. It's the second greatest love story ever told. It's a uh, dollar right now. Come on, a dollar on Kindle and Amazon. It's coming to audio and paperback. Yes, check me out on podcasting him softly. Got a really cool. I'm going to have breakfast. I'm going to have breakfast, folks, with Immortem Joe. Uh, no, right? What? What? With with a Mortem Joe. With, oh my god. With Fred, 
with you, Keysburn, right, and Mortem Joe on podcast them softly. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get together and have breakfast and record a conversation between me and a Mortem Joe. Uh, it's gonna be cool. That's, That's a future right. future episode. It's, yep. it's gonna be mid it's gonna be mid July, so it'll probably on the be on the side end of July, something like that. But yeah, you can check us out then. All right. So our next episode is we I, okay. Usually I just do three or four episodes with him, but we're having so much fun this year. I think exploring careers instead of just like particular movies. You know, I'd be glad yeah. to go more than three or four this year, but if not. Potentially, our finale episode is going to be the Death Wish series, but that's his call because um, we just discussed like twelve other things we wanted to talk about. Oh <laughs> no, we kind of go off on a tangent, but it's it's fun. We keep it. I've been having a Chuck. Loose. I'm in a Chuck Norris mood too. I've been thinking about talking about Chuck Norris before oh, and after. Oh yeah. It'd be it'd be like a two yeah. episode thing, like before Canon Pictures and after Canon Pictures. Stuff is bouncing <laughs> around in my head, so. Um, yeah, we could we we could just do an episode. We could do the two chucks, couldn't we? We could get Charles Bronson, and we could do Chuck Norris. Yeah, but uh, we could no, do it. That, that, that's a great title for it: The Tale of Two Chucks. So, so you want to do that instead? Instead of just the Death Wish series, do you want to discuss all of oh. his, or do you want to separate Death yeah, Wish? No, no, let's let's do it. Let's do the let's do. It. There's an episode there: The Tale of Two Chucks. All right, that's it. We have got a good idea. That's that's great. The Tale of Two Chucks. So this will be. It'll probably be a longer episode than usual, maybe more than an hour, because that's a lot of ground to cover. I don't want to skip on anything. Yeah. But this will finally give me excuse to see Hellbound. I've seen every. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, well, and Hellbound. Forest Warrior. Those are the only two Chuck Norris movies I haven't seen. I've seen every Charles Bronson movie, so I think we're set. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, everybody. Party on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rock Entertainment. Uh, that's where we find all our podcasts, including Trash Cinema, Video Night, and the 90 other things I do because I cloned myself. So while I'm at work paying the bills, I have the cloned version of me doing the talking. You're not even talking to the real me, Kent, right now. it's it's a, Instead of Michael, it's a Spikle. Yeah, Spikle. <laughs> that's fantastic. So is there like a third one that like is like, oh, you like multiplicity? Yeah, I like, like Pizza Steve. So... <laughs> Did you bring me a monkey? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're horsing around oh, now. Oh, that's why that's why your thing's called space. What is it? Monkey kung fu. That's why kung fu monkey, monkey bot. Okay, to explain what kung, kung fu monkey bot is, very briefly, me and my friend Devon in college worked on a comic strip that we never finished, where it was about it was kind of a playoff Astro Boy, where um, a doctor basically lost his son. He puts his brain inside of a monkey. And he has a hard drive in there where he can load him up with all the skills of the world. And he's going to send him out to the world to teach peace and kindness and save the innocent and stuff like that. Turns out his son has different plans. He has all these skills and all he wants to do is just slack around and play video games with his other friends. It's just, it, it was supposed to be more comedic. It's like a superhero who doesn't really want to be a superhero. Yeah, that's fantastic. You need to write the script for that I now. never. We talk about this a lot. I am a bum when it comes to this. I'm so tired from work. It's emotionally yeah. and physically exhausting that I don't even write yeah. anymore. How many ideas have I kind of like casually tossed your way and been like, yeah, I uh, maybe, maybe I will. I don't know. I do this all the time yeah. and it's kind of yeah. a shame. I'm only, I'm only 43 yeah. and I haven't written anything in a, in a decade probably. Yeah. Yeah. You, should, you should do that and we'll get Fred Williamson to star. <laughs> he'll be the, I, he'll I be the scientist. Phone. He'll be smoking a cigar. Look I, what I did. Yeah, I have his phone number so we can, we can call him up and say, <laughs> hey, Fred. <laughs> all right, everybody. We're he, like, around, so. he likes strange things. He does. He has a really interesting um, – I, I, I would say real quickly before we go off on another tangent and drag this out anymore. 
I don't particularly <laughs> care. God, I hope he doesn't listen to this. I don't particularly care for the movies that he does, like he that he directs and produces. I know that he that's why he's doing all the Italian stuff and, and the mainstream stuff. But I gotta well, say, it's nowhere nearly as entertaining. No, no, it's it. I mean, because Fred, like I said, like we said at the top of the thing, he's a very smart businessman, right? First and foremost, he's a smart businessman. He knows, he knows what sells, and he knows what certain people like to see him in. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't, I don't not like the Poeboy films, but man, I love the Italian ones. I love, you know, Del Divorce Commando. I love the New Barbarians. I love, you know, because they're just so off the wall. And I yeah. Think, well, I mean, it's, and, I, it's... and I think. That, I think that's why I did him too. It's just like, well, this is like Fred just sort of letting his hair down. Like, okay, I'll be campy in this. You know? Yeah, that's what I think it is. Is the Poe Boy productions are more serious. He wants them to be uh, lower budget, yeah. drive-in kind of movies, yeah. but at the same time, he wants them yeah. to have a level of seriousness, which um, which yeah. neuters it to me. Yeah, and plus it's it's his money too, so he's playing it safe and yeah. Then he knows that he can but, sell it later on television. That's the thing is, you know, he can have that secondary mar- or third market of television, and that's where you really make totally. the profit is that and in, in, in uh, syndication sales. Totally. All right. Well, thanks for having me again, mate. We can't wait to do the Taylor Two Chucks. Say hello to the other Michaels for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a good night. I like pizza. Shit. <laughs>